Welcome to episode 51 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by our friends at Drafty. Wait, what? Was that? Yes. Yes, it was. More on that in a moment. But first, I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the heart of noir, Los Angeles, California. This week on the show, our guest is Sophie Badalusi, co-director and choreographer of LA's immersive hit, The Day Shall Declare It. We're going to have her on in just a little bit, plus the usual news and notes. But let's get back to this sponsorship thing. What the heck is going on, Nelson? Nothing but good stuff, people. All right. Uh, Here's how it goes. Back while I was in New York City, our co-host Zay and I ran into an old friend of ours, Lucas Kresh. And by old, I mean we go back to our high school and college years with Lucas. Uh, To carry a theme for longtime listeners, I used to run a LARP with Lucas. He's not actually all that happy that I'm outing him this way, but uh, it's true. Uh, Back before, that was cool. And it was cool for about five minutes, and then stopped being cool. But anyway, look, Lucas... To, to get onto this, uh, Lucas is a lighting designer, um, a really good one. I mean, he's been doing it like storefront theater and is where he started. And then he does a lot of dance and I think he works opera. I mean, all sorts of things. West Coast, East Coast, travels around, right? And a little while ago, he was looking around at computer-assisted design programs um, that he and his fellow designers were using. And he decided he could make one better for live performance. Um, and he could make one that would cost less than the CAD behemoths that don't really get what lighting designers and sound designers and projection designers do. So Lucas, with the people he knew and the resources at hand, he made it. It's called Drafty. That's the name you heard at the top. Uh, and it's, um, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's lighting production, sound projection designed CAD software that's made by an actual performing arts designer. Um, I mean, there's coders and stuff, right? But Lucas is one of us. So anyway, um, Zay and I run into Lucas right before we go check out her long black hair, uh, the podcast of which you can hear. Uh, and he says, I have a proposition for you, um, which is why I'm saying this right now, because he proposed that Drafty came on as the sponsor for No Persinium. And it took me two months going back and forth, talking over with the guys who run the other newsletters, talking over with Zay, thinking about it really hard, uh, because I want to do right by all of you. We have a lot of Patreon backers, and we've been growing that, and the show would not exist without all of you. But we're also running in the red most of the time, because I keep on doing things like buying microphones, and, you know, stuff costs. And a little bit later in the year we're probably going to run up to the point where MailChimp is no longer free. Like, we're lucky it's free right now, but the bigger we get, the closer we get to it costing. So we're doing this experiment. For the month of June, the podcast and all of the newsletters are being sponsored by Drafty. You're going to see, uh, you know, the the image you probably already did if you got the LA and the New York uh, issues that came out this week. You're going to hear a much shorter <laughs> version of what I just did, um, which I think I'm even going to do in a second again, just to, to try it out. Practice here, guys, um, of, of sort of it's it's the sponsor slug. Um, we're not drowning in money. 
um, because Drafty's a small little startup. Lucas wants to do some good. Uh, I want to try this out, see if we we like it, meaning me, Lucas, and all of you. And uh, this is is his way of trying to help, you know, underwrite the show, support out-of-the-box theater, uh, keep this community kind of uh, alive. And I do not intend for us to start getting into the business of just willy-nilly taking on sponsorships. Uh, I don't want to hear ads for coffee on this show. I don't want to hear ads for beds. Uh, I use both those things, but, you know, that has nothing to do with theater. Um, I also do not want to be taking ads for escape rooms, sponsorship from shows, I don't want to blur that line between editorial. I don't want anyone thinking like, oh, I didn't pay you, so I can't be on your show. Because that's garbage. What gets on the show is because it interests us. That's the editorial side of, that's the editorial hat. Um, What pays for the show are the community. And sometimes inside the community, there are people who have businesses in the community who make tools for the community or at least part of the community, and that feels okay to me, and I hope it feels okay to you. Um, also, like, if we took the coffee and beds ads, that's just boring. Just, I mean, just yawn. Let me be clear about this, all right? Um, this does not mean suddenly I'm going to go take off to see Sweet and Lucky in Denver. Um, it does mean that when we have to start paying for MailChimp, we'll be able to pay for MailChimp. Um, maybe one day we'll get to do the thing where we pay writers in cities where we're not based to go check things out. Um, there's definitely a little bit of sharing compensation going on with the guys who are running the newsletters already. Like everyone, it's, you know, kind of the company gets a little bit of share. It is it really, it is not a lot of money right now. Um, maybe one day. <laughs> I mean, would, would I like this to be my full-time job one day? Hell Yes. That that's not happening anytime this quarter. Probably not even this year. I don't like to say that because it makes me feel sad. But look, um, we still need the Patreon backers. Um, this does not lessen their contribution at all. We still need the individual support. If you recently came on board, and if if you feel like, oh, well, they're getting money, you know, so I don't need to do that anymore. Look, that's your right. You can feel that way. Um, I will gladly, you know, if you got that issue, message me, and I'll tell you what the numbers are. Um, you, as a Patreon backer, you know, you have the right to know what's going on. Um, at least I feel that way. Maybe not every supporter does. But like I said, we're dealing with like really, really, really low figures here. Um, mostly because this is a test. This is a test of the emergency patronage system. Uh, broadcasters in your area do not know what they're doing. Uh, but it is not ad, click, pay for play. It's none of that because I live in that world as part of the day job. And I know that it is a fool's errand to try and make money that way. The point is this. This is like a public media, which is what I really live in. It's that kind of sponsorship um, with a lot fewer zeros involved on the checks uh, because we are trying to be good about all this. Um, and Drafty is our sponsor because Lucas Kresh believes in us, in this community, and because I believe in Lucas, 
I mean, the things I got him to do in high school, I just ridiculous. But um, which means I believe in Drafty, which you can find at drafty-app.com. Don't forget the dash. It's a lot like our URLs. URLs are hard to come by, guys. It's just the way it works. Um, And here's the slug. Drafty, designed from the ground up for the unique needs of theatrical designers, assistants, and technicians. And I actually got it wrong. Here's what it is. It's built from the ground up for the unique needs of theatrical designers, assistants, and technicians. See, I'm already messing this up. I'm no good at this. Drafty-app.com. I'm not cutting that. No, no. If I gotta, if I gotta feel like Mark Marin, I'm gonna feel like my version of Mark Marin, with a lot less caffeine in me. But maybe I get to interview Obama now. That'd be nice. All right, um, that's the deal. That's up. Now the news and notes. San Francisco. Hey, San Francisco readers, you want to maybe check your inbox because maybe a little birdie told me that no pro readers are going to get a chance to get in on the some of the early access tickets on the speakeasy which is going on sale very very soon that should be going out probably by the time you can hear this if a birdie speaks true um it's like game of thrones like i don't know what the birds are doing but that's supposed to be happening so hopefully i'm not speaking false uh let's talk about extensions Extensions are happening everywhere. Not only is Third Rail's The Grand Paradise extended into the summer in New York, but the company's Denver-based work, Sweet and Lucky, has extended into the beginning of August, which means, you know, if I was cashing a big check, I'd be going there. But I'm not. I'm going to Cleveland for work in July. You can put the pieces together. Um, As a journalist, let me be clear. Um, Here in Los Angeles... The Day Shall Declare It just announced... Oh, hey, isn't that convenient? Sophie's on the show. Uh, The Day Shall Declare It just announced an extension into July. So if you missed out on tickets, now's the time. Because remember, they sold out. And now there's more tickets. I don't have to draw any more of a picture there. Um, We had a monster of an issue in Los Angeles this week. A lot of stuff from the Hollywood Fringe, a bunch of shows we dug up. The Speakeasy Society has new work coming up in July. Uh, you want to go check that out if you haven't opened up your inbox already. You will find like a written version of what I said at the top. So, you know, you feel free to skip that if you want to. Or, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I write better than I speak. So other times I speak better than I write. Um, I'd get into the details of what is in the rest of the issue, but this has been really long. So even by our standards. So let's get into what's important. Sophie Badalusi is our guest. And we recorded this uh, out back at the Day Shall Declare It venue. Um, so you're going to hear some street noises, some planes, some construction in the background. I have checked out the recording, though, and we are completely legible. It's just, you know, on location. Sophie uh, not only is a co-director and choreographer, co-creator of this piece with uh, Annie Saunders, but uh, she's performed, and, and she'll kind of do her vetting, but to, to put it in context for you guys, um, she's performed with Punch Drunk in both uh, both Sleep No More and in uh, The Drowned Man in London. So um, her her roots are deep in this work, uh, and she's just she's a super sweet person. And we're going to talk a lot about dance. And we're going to talk about uh, you know creating these experiences uh, with you know the human body. 
uh, we're, we're going to get a little philosophical because, hi, it's no proscenium. That's like why we exist. And um, I'm going to shut up and you're going to enjoy this. So, um, but it's super informal. Mm-hmm. So this is a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been recording for like a minute or two. And so basically now we'll, we'll have started. Uh-huh. Um, so Sophie, um, for, for those who haven't seen The Day Shall Declare It, mm-hmm. uh, tell us, just, just tell, give me your take on the show. Uh, in how short? My take on the show, it's a, uh... I mean, we're using and reusing that word, like, it's an immersive experience. Um, basically, it's a, I, I see it as an experience, as a journey for an audience to go from stepping out of the street, coming into, coming into this, our space, entering a speakeasy bar, and then slowly going into a journey that go from ultra-realism of a relationship um, to more and more abstract poetic um, content uh, which all are a reflection on relationship on the work the relationship to trying to connect a lot for me this year when I look at it it's all about connection trying to connect wanted to connect often being uh, failing at connecting Mm. um, misunderstanding missing each other misconnection yeah uh, so, I mean, it sounds a little bit <laughs> hopeless like this, but I, I think it is full of life as well and full of hope. But it's kind of a look at how we connect as people to other people and even as performer connect to audience. I mean, it's a different level of what is it to connect. Yeah. And, and the, the tools that you use are not just the design but primarily the three performers and this this amalgamation of movement and this lyricism of the mashed up text um i'm i'm kind of curious like how how the form of the piece evolved uh, and, and your relationship to the piece and your relationship to annie who's, who's warming up right now otherwise i'd have both of you mm-hmm. at once uh, but we'll get Annie back on at some point. Um, Annie, who was our very first guest ever, actually. Um, but I'm kind of curious as to how you got into this vein of immersive dance theater work. Like, like where? what's your origin story? Huh. My original... I mean, for that show, or you're talking about oh, in general, in my life? Yeah, yeah. In general, yeah. Well, I think I, I was... I studied dance. I mean, I came to the U.S. to go to the Martha Graham School of Contemporary Dance. Uh, Believe it or not. Um, I think there was a power in the movement that I found then in in the Graham dancer, in the Graham technique, that I was really drawn. And to me, there was a force of life inherent to that movement. It was not the abstraction of Cunningham. It was not like... It was not... yeah, it was not abstract. It was really coming from something very deep down, very visceral, very emotional. Um, and of course, Graham is also codified. I mean, it, it right. became a technique and it is totally codified. But th- I think there was a life force within, behind it, something that, and also a female life force, yeah. which I think is also very important. Yeah. Oh, I realize now yeah. how that part is important. Uh, 
14 years ago, I think I, I, I was not asking myself question about gender so much. <laughs> Weirdly, the more the older I get, the more I realize that there is maybe that female power was something that I was aspiring to. Yeah. Uh, so that was the first thing that brought me to movement, really, yeah. and to dance. And, and, and there's there's that pulse in Graham's work. Like my mother actually studied there in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like one of her teachers was Jean Erdman, mm-hmm. who later on we figured out was like Joseph Campbell's wife, the mythologist, mm. right? So like all these weird influences like collide in on each other. Uh, but, but I mean, some of my earliest memories uh, were of my mother like teaching dance in, in the studio when I was like five years old. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. And yeah, yeah. So like, I'm, I'm, uh, that's, that's, I think that's one of the, the secrets to like why I respond very well to like dance-based okay. pieces and movie-based mm-hmm. pieces mm-hmm. is like, earliest memories were like the studio and movement and, and just being very kinesthetically aware and that that pulse of of life that comes through movement and comes through the way bodies are put into relations to each other like that's yeah. one of the things that like is so the, the best of anything for me always tells stories through bodies yeah right? yeah absolutely I mean. And I think Graham have all those quotes, you know, the body never lies, yeah. things that are really had a big imprint on me. And but it's very codified, and the company is very, I would say, hierarchic, mm. you, you know. Yeah. And uh, and there was something where I couldn't find my identity totally. I think uh, I deeply don't believe in hierarchy. I don't believe that people are more important than others. And so there was that old-fashioned part of the company that, for me, was like I have no interest to yeah. be there. Or to sustain that, uh, and I thought that, yeah. So something in me wanted to do something else as well, um, and then I started to be interested by more contact improvisation and and discovering. And my curiosity brought me to Grotowski, so more like physical theater things. Uh, did some workshop in Europe, and it's how slowly I got more and more involved with text. But originally, I was a, I always loved reading, but it was not something that was my drive and my drive was expressing something that I think words for me was oh I didn't know how to verbalize so movement was a place of comfort Mm. and even my way of approaching text I think there is something a visceral response and I follow that with the actor physically yeah and in that incarnation of the show I think this year I really was able because this instinct was there and I knew I was trusting them, I was able to get to another level, I think, with interrogating some of the of the storytelling that some people have been sometimes challenging, like, oh, it's it's not linear, it's not the... Which is still not linear in many ways, but to try to make the, the storytelling bit clearer. Right. So it's interesting to see how we built, like, blocks, you know? Like, yeah. It's like a finishing a painting and adding, like, I don't know... The last shade or something. Well, in, in this year's iteration of the show, uh, I, I feel that there is even more of a, of a rhyme scheme. It, not literally in terms of like things rhyme, but in terms of phrases being brought back in the text. And but that's also, and I, I need to, I do need to watch the show again to see if, if, if the same thing is mapping on the movement. I mean, I know in the first piece. The first big section mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the show that physical phrases definitely repeat, mm-hmm. and then watching phrases 
in the, the, the show as a whole, watching textual phrases mm-hmm. repeat, mm-hmm. and a part of me assuming that there is some physical phrases that are, are kind of like leaping forward um, as well to create continuity. Yeah, I mean, they're, never, they're rarely literally the same. Right. I mean, if we can talk of literal repetition of movement. It's <laughs> become... Yeah. But, but they are theme-inspired or, like, things that are... Yeah, definitely. I think more this year. I mean, this year, we will interrogate it. Okay, what is... We had very strong pieces, and then it was like, well, what is the overall arc of the show as a whole? Mm-hmm. And how we inter we question that and hopefully finding a better resolution. So... We have a new end. We have slightly new transition and a new beginning. It's like a new transition and a new end. And those are by inter- by questioning that. I think it changed the way we experience the show as a whole. Yeah, completely yeah. differently. And it's also very interesting to see that. And they're the hardest, I think, starting and finishing. For me, it's finishing definitely the most the most difficult thing. Yeah. Because also it could go on forever, you know? Like, it's like the same way I feel like I could work on Tennessee Williams all my life. Like, it was like, uh, what are we finishing, really? Yeah. We have to finish somehow. Yeah, you pick, pick an end point. It's like there's an old yeah. saying about yeah. movies, that movies aren't finished, they escape, right? Yeah, like definitely they, yeah. escaping often. And I feel like this time we kind of end it yeah. a bit more successfully. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think that there's... There was something last year about the closing moment, I don't want to spoil anything, that, like... There was something beautiful to it, but then the denouement was just like, oh, oh, hey, yeah, the bar's open. Yes. And, and now there's more of a button. There's more of like, there's a callback. There's, it's still, it's still the same function mm-hmm. to lure people out into mm-hmm. the space, but there's a much more clear like, oh, no, 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 we're, we are, we are done. Although I remember like on preview night, like people were like, kind of like, there's a little bit of like uncertainty because yeah. like the, the door to the back was open, like they didn't really know what uh, to do. But I felt that the what was happening with the characters was like a very clear like oh yeah. we've we've exited the world or we've yeah. gone back to the world that yeah. we started in. Yeah, and exactly. That was, that was something interesting about the way you structured the opening close this time is that is that there was a particularly in the transitional like the sort of the transition between the scene zero and scene one as I think of it. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the world we come back to right at the mm-hmm, end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the sort of like, oh, this this is how we get in and out of like the full thrust is with those two characters in this particular relationship to each other. Or those two performers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it got better and better. Like, I think definitely we figured out a more clarity as we go. I, yeah. um, I will be curious to see what you feel now. If it's as... I think it gets clearer. I mean, it's hard to bring people out of that last scene because you're yeah. in such a... I mean, what I observe, you know, I don't want to project what I think it is, but what I f- seems to observe is like you're in such a other kind of state of of reception, of receiving, of feeling, of uh, openness, even like suddenly it's a little bit of a leap to have to go back. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting because it does progress, and and physically there's this spiral that you go through in the space, and it feels like you're progressing farther and farther into into an abstract state. Yes, as absolutely. Go. And so by the end you're like pretty you're you're pretty abstracted, but then you're really kind of living in the poetics of it. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, to, like, snap back into it, like, oh, no, no, now we're going to go outside, and now the bar is going to be open, and mm-hmm. now there's going to be some barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, like, this is very, like, oh, this is... This sorry, is sorry. I'm going to check something. You want to check something? Go for it. Somehow I, I want to comment of the word abstraction because I've been using it as, you know, I, I did use it like kind of realism or something very tangible or something more abstract, but I think it's more from realism to poetic. Even, mm. I mean, because I don't think it's abstract. I mean, it's not about shape. It's not about whatever. Uh, maybe it depends on the definition of abstraction. Right. And I don't know what is... Uh, no, but I, but I get what you're saying because like, cause like I, you know, the idea of like shape or just an idea, uh, or or just a, a distant perspective at a skewed angle on a notion, as opposed to the resonance that poetry has. Like yeah. poetry, if it doesn't rhyme, it's about connection. It's always about connection. Yeah, and it has flesh. I think. Yeah, it's mm. like yeah, it's very. I mean, it does depend of poetry. It does depend of a lot of things. But for me, abstract and... For me, it's a leap towards ideas mm-hmm. and concepts. Yeah. And I, I, I actually think instinctively it's not what I'm coming from. Right. I mean, there is a concept for the show. There is a... But ultimately, I'm interested to... To reveal some, to unravel or to unveil some type of human emotion or human state that are deeply. Because there's there is something. It was interesting, like structurally, there's something almost fractal to the way the show exists in that in that states of mind and feeling reoccur and language leaps from person to person in the different scenes. Mm-hmm. But it is always, like you said, it's in the flesh. It's embodied. Mm-mm-mm. It's much more about how these two bodies, because it's almost always two bodies. Mm-hmm. For moments, it's three, but for mostly it's two, mm-hmm. are in relation to each other. Yeah. Um, into the space, into the audience. Yeah. Um, how? Talk to me a little bit about going into this immersive theater and this dance theater work like how how you how you, how you got introduced into doing that kind of work well I think um, so I, I after the Martha Graham company I, I work with a woman, a woman that had a big in, I mean a, she's a figure of a dance theater in America Martha Clark and she did, definitely opened my mind to some type of really the the imagery, the poetic of the image of the body. Mm. And then I'm with my very good friend Eva Perrotta. We had together a dance company called New Dance Theater. And we started to be really interested in what we were calling site specific then. Not that we didn't even know really about the word immersive. But it was like we did a show in a f- uh, former synagogue uh, renovated as a living, contemporary living space in mm. the East Village in New York. So we did a show in, in that space. We did a show in a botanical garden in the East Village. Uh, we were just inspired by architecture, by space. We did, a, we did a show in a vintage store in Brooklyn. So we would enter the space and be like, whoa, we want to do... It just, we felt inspired. We had It was not a linear story coming up, but imagery is something about the space that were talking to us. So we started to to do that 
And then eventually we saw uh, she was in Boston for another solo show that the company was presenting. And she called me in tears saying she was seeing Sleep No More in Boston. And she said, they're doing what we're dreaming of doing. Mm. And then it's how I got more and more you know, into it. And I worked with Punch Drunk. And so it's how kind of organically in our own research and suddenly it becomes this we realize there was this entire movement you know yeah and, uh, and, and, and this movement is sort of like converging from all these different directions because mm-hmm. there's there is that strong vein and I would say in so many ways the site specific vein is so much stronger in dance um, uh, and, and it's not that things like where people like Grotowski weren't working uh in terms of environmental theater and working in strange relation to the audience, Mm-mm. but it's it, it still it still is one of those things when you tell people this sort of thing is happening in the context of theater, they don't they don't have a, a reference point. The way if I walk into the dance world and say, "Oh, it's a site specific piece," they'll mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, okay." I I start the more people seem to be clued in. It's hmm, interesting. Um, it, it's changed. It's definitely changed after Sleep No More. But even then, like here on the West Coast because we don't have a very large, you know, thing that's present in the scene. And we don't, I mean, our, in our theater scene, of course, is, you know, no, God, there's, there's nothing I can say that doesn't sound either, like, self-appreciating or insulting. But, mm. <laughs> I mean, it's not, a, it's not an industry the way it is in New York. I mean, it's, it's Well, a, even it's, in New York, you know, it's kind of still recent, and it, it yeah. became maybe an industry because of the success of Sleep No More, but I don't know if we still... It's still very foreign for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the dance world, even, like, you know, like, this, people are like, what is it, interpretive dance? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what do I say to that? <laughs> what does that mean, interpretive yeah. dance? What the, mm, Every, everything yeah. in dance is interpretive, right? Oh, yeah. You, know, like, well, you I don't might know. have it's to be interpreting like, something, you know. I don't know, and I, I just don't... Uh, but I think it's versus maybe clubbing, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, or, or versus, I don't know, maybe they have like a, a vision of the ballet rooms in their head, if they're so lucky to have that in their yeah, head. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know if they do. Yeah, most don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the reality is uh, dance I have, has a very small audience. Yeah. You know, still now, and people often don't want to see dance. They don't just say they don't understand it. Or, I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah. Why is, is, I mean, which is such a strange thing. I mean, like I said, you know, like I grew up around it. So it's, it's a weird thing to me. I have to make a big leap into someone's head who's like, oh, I've never seen this sort of stuff before. And yet, from from someone who's grown up around it, it's just, it, well, it's... You will never have that experience. Yeah, I'll never have that experience. But also, it just really <laughs> seems obvious to me that it's it's about... It's about the relationship of bodies it's about it's the, it go to the gram quote like the body doesn't lie it's like there's this there's there's such a there's a purity to purely in dance theater when it's working there's a purity to it that and it talks to you at a different level yeah it talks to you I think at a cellular level instead yeah. of a visceral yeah yeah visceral and but like I don't know I don't know what I wanted to say I was like To me, it shows, it might be an expression of ours, and I don't like to think, I, I think something about this, our society or not, but it seems to me that there is a disconnection to the body, that we are disembodying ourselves. Mm. Um, 
from many things, like from being on our phone a lot. I mean, I'm, I do it too, and I do feel the disembodiment of that when I'm on my phone, like uh, screens, and and I do think that people saying I don't understand dance, it's partly just an expression of what is my body. And mm. nowadays, it's like either you go work out at the gym, and it's the closest people get to be in their body, yeah. which I I've, I don't know if I think you can be at the gym and be completely disembodied. Or, you know, like where? I mean, where you. I mean, at least in America, you hug, you know? In, a, in France, you don't even have that, you know? You're totally. I don't know if there is so much touch. I don't know. Oh, wow. And I think. Uh, it's hard to think of Americans as being warm sometimes. So that's the most terrifies me that we're like, well, well, at least we hug here. Like, oh, God. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, at first, I remember for me, it was a big. Sh- Invasion at first, like yeah. people I barely know, and just big hugs, and I was like, "Whoa, what's that?" Yeah. Now I go to France and I hug everyone, and people are like, "Whoa." <laughs> well, so you were in dance, you were in theater. I mean, like that's that's actually the funny thing is like, because like because of theater, I'm a hugger. Yeah. But when I like even with friends who aren't theater friends, uh, maybe yeah, yeah. I like I hold back the hugs oh, because I don't. There's there's this. There's, a, there's almost like a physical like in language we talk about code switching but like there's almost like a physical code switching from like oh I'm with theater people so like we're gonna get tactile yeah, versus no, absolutely. versus non-theater people where it's like oh, okay you're not you don't you, you may not be comfortable enough in your body for someone to like you know touch you yeah but I think it's also uh, yeah uh, how do you cultivate that and I think mm. very early on we just connect kids from their own body oh, yeah, so do. and it's not enough to just go to yoga every day or to go to the gym or uh, it doesn't make you necessarily more embodied it does for some people right but for other I don't know I don't think I mean if I see the body language I don't think they're present in their body yeah and to me I hope that the show is I do see it I do see people being Suddenly, there, I see their face lighting up, and I see them anger to follow the action, to follow the word and the action, and be there. And it's kind of they embody themselves yeah. within the experience. I think they're landing in themselves, and suddenly, I mean, I hope. I, <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's interesting because, like, I, I, how do you choreograph? How do you design for? the fact that the audience is just about anywhere. And I know both as a performer and a choreographer, you've had a lot of experience now dealing with this sort of sandbox effect of like, oh, the audience can go wherever anywhere. they want. So what's, what's uh, I what mean, are I, the tools? There? As a performer, a lot of it is just to constantly open your your field of vision at every level and your skin and your back to know where people are all the time mm. and you know and playing with it I mean it's super thrilling for a performer I think and thrilling for the audience if you know always where they are you can almost step on them but you won't you know and you can get very <laughs> close or you can squeeze their shoulder because you're almost about to fall but you're going to use them or yeah. to stand and they don't need to do anything they're just, they're just there so I really love that part of things, and sometimes you need to sometimes you need to move them if you want to really be able to do the choreography. Depending of how you know, if you're in a duet, probably need to to be able to 
to do what it needs to be done. When it's a solo, you have more freedom, obviously, to to change. Or, but you, but, but it's highly scripted. Yeah. In Sipnomore, here, or in all my experience, a very like loose audience. Um, it's been very scripted in a way that it's you know exactly what you're doing, so you can deal with it. Mm. Then you know so well that you can put your intention to the room. Is that something? Do you think that's something that can be taught and trained, or does it take a certain kind of performer to sort of have that awareness? I think you can. You can definitely train consciousness. You can train awareness. You can train sensibility. You know, I think definitely. Is it is it taught? Mostly, I don't think so. But I think there is a lot to be done there. Mm. Um, and there's almost like a cognate in that. I remember last year seeing the show and 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 how the audience. It was funny because like it was like a few months after I think I'd seen Sleep No More, and and there some of the audience was savvy enough. They knew they knew how to move around uh-huh. and like and, and in relation to the the, the work and the mm-hmm. action. And the first night I saw I saw Deschamps declare it. Uh, the audience. Actually, both times the audiences were a little like they didn't quite know they weren't used to the form. Mm-hmm. But the first night, I knew that I could break out mm. uh, and get on the other side of mm. things, so I did. Mm. And then other people sort of followed mm. suit, and that that sort of like hurting mentality. But mm. the second time I saw it, because I had already seen it from that side mm. of the room, I was like, "Well, I don't want to break out. I want to mm. see it. Mm. I want a different angle. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing mm. for me." Mm. And they didn't, and they just sort of like tried to form a natural proscenium. Um, and, and there's almost like a, a way where we're at the stage of here, and probably in New York as well, like educating the audience. Like how how do you how do you get the audience to have that same level of awareness? Uh, well, that's a big question. But you also manipulate the audience in a way. You know, yourself by lights, by sounds. It's really clear in in the work of Pendrunk. They really use light and sounds to guide you. Yeah. Uh, we do it at certain level here and. I've been talking a lot to them. Like uh, I've been lucky enough to stay much longer than I've had in the past, and watching the show, watching the audience behavior, and you know, tell, for example, for the first scene, telling them, you know, you need to put them in movement as early as possible, because if not, they go to the edges mm. and they stay there, and it's yeah. not where the it's thrilling. The thrill is to be close to you guys. So, and then they're like, oh, but then we can do this or that. I'm like, I, what I know is like, if you don't create a a sense that they can move or move them, they tend to, to find see, a safety yeah. place around the edges. And, uh, the wallflower, yeah, yeah. So this has to do with us as well, you mm. know, how we handle them, yeah. I mean, the audience, them, <laughs> the people. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, so I'm learning a lot about people and people behavior as I'm watching, and I think it's informing a lot the choice I would make in the future as a immersive performer. What what keeps you interested in this form? Because you've been at this for a, a bit now. Like what's the what's the draw? Because it's such a peculiar puzzle. To uh, I think maybe the puzzle. Uh, I think I think I'm not the, in general. I mean, I've seen some incredible stuff in proscenium, but I'm not really I'm not really excited to sit in a theater. 
I just it just came from my own experience where I got a little bit bored to be seated and you know like uh, I think I came, I think I came to immersive in a way through uh, contemporary art and uh, an installation like going to, I always love you know going to PS1 or whatever and be there and then suddenly you immerse into something and this was always super thrilling to me much more than watching I mean I I, lo I love painting or anything but much more than watching a painting for example yeah like the fact that suddenly I was physically involved even if it's sitting in the middle of the room while there is a sound installation around me or just that level always I think I discovered that in America just because my curiosity and for me it resonates in me I, I feel like a child I feel like I'm curious I feel like I want to I don't know I feel I've, I've, yeah I think I just feel more I don't feel like I'm a witness I feel like it does move me mm. by the fact that I'm the, in the in the the midst of the whatever is happening, yeah. or that I have the choice to, yeah. it's never forced on me. Yeah, uh, yeah I think for me it's probably why, and my interest, and it's thrilling. I mean, it's thrilling to create an environment around people, for people. Um, I was recently. I mean, I still do some proscenium theater, and I probably will still do, but. I mean, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, it's, it's funny when you, when you break the fourth wall down and... It's hard to bring one back after that. Yeah. It's definitely hard to bring people back after that. It's, it's, it, I get, I get squirmy in theaters yeah. now in a way that I didn't before. Yeah. Um, also, there is something about... But it's funny, that was different type, like one of our performers, he loves it, I think, but he also hates it. And he's like, well, next time can we do a back to a stage, you know? And and I don't feel that at all. I'm never angry about the audience. I'm never, I'm always like, for me, it's like, it's a gift, you know? It's a gift to be able to <laughs> be so close to, I, 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 the intimacy, possi the possible intimacy of immersive theater. And I think you can have that in a proscenium but people have to always break the fourth wall to really create intimacy, I yeah. think. I don't think you can have true intimacy without really looking into the eyes of a person or being yeah. able to touch them. Yeah. Touch them or... Cre creating connection. It's such, it's, yeah. such a, it's such a core... It's, it's such the, the thing that we don't... You can't get that in television. You can't get that in film because even if they look into the camera and try to get the illusion of looking at you, they're not really... Looking there's no you. feedback loop. They're not getting your eyes back. No. And, uh, like, in theater, you know that it's you right now. There is yeah. a, There is no ambiguity about that. Yeah. You know, even if you represent something that is not you, yeah. that connection you have happened, and this is very real. Yeah. Which, like you're saying, any other medium, will, yeah. you can't feel it, but... You, Many, there is not exclusivity in a weird way, you know? It's like that I mean, moment is... I mean, for me, when this stuff is working in the most interesting way, there's, there's an act of play that happens between the performers and, and the audience, the participant. And 
and that that play, even though even though it, you know it's it's an act of make believe or, or an act of imagination, um, it it still has a, a level in which it, it it did happen. It is it is real. It's mm. like when you're a performer and you're in a scene and you you touch on something that's a real connection between your two characters. The moment really happens. Yeah. It it may be a moment that happens between made up people, but it's still a real moment. Mm-mm-mm. And I feel that's something that this immersive form um, allows. And indeed, like that's for me what sort of separates the immersive from sort of what I would call just site specific, where it's like, oh, we're in a place where we're not traditionally going to do something, but it's like the performers are in relationship to the space, but not necessarily in no. relationship to the audience. Yeah. But as soon as they're in relationship to the audience. It, it, the, the dynamic completely shifts. Mm-hmm. It becomes that, that that connection between the performer and the observer mm-hmm. uh, creates creates this other effect mm-hmm. that that literally can't get in, you know in any other way. Yeah, and that in when you say that, I want also to make sure because sometimes people are really scared that they will have because something's happened between the audience and the. And the and the actor, the performer, then suddenly there is this like, oh, am I gonna have to do something? Right. Yes, which is also yeah. something else. You can have yeah. immersive interactive. Right. Uh, you can have immersive that is just somehow bring you in the midst of the action. Yeah. You're breathing with them. You're yeah. like all of that. But then it's different. I mean, and we certainly don't do interactive. Yeah. Here. Well, and, and and so many times when people think that they're headed towards this form, they'll just do something like, oh, drag a person out of the audience and get them to dance for two seconds and then put them back <laughs> in the audience. And it's like, and they'll go, oh, we've got an immersive piece. And I just want to like strangle the people oh, who yeah. do that. Because it's like, no, you just, you just randomly chose someone. And you might have chosen someone who like is not comfortable at all and you made them feel a fool. And it's never about that in my mind in terms of what the, the power of this is. It's about... Because it's not about, oh, make someone perform for everybody else. It's like there's this moment where there's just this moment that happens between you and the other, and, and the performer. And that is, it's just for you. Even if it's in the midst of a bunch of people. It's just this little moment that's just, that's just for you. It's like when you have, when you have, you know, Annie or one of the guys, like, take someone aside just for a second. And they're just, they're just whispering a line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. As they maneuver them through the space yeah. to get everyone knowing that they can yeah. move around the space. Yeah. But in that moment, or it's like at, at, at Sleep No More, and you know, if you know, Lady M suddenly like reaches out and you yeah. pick her up and she like whispers something in her yeah. ear and she moves on, yeah. um, it's, it's five seconds, but it's, it's an electric five seconds. Yeah, but I also don't want to dismiss that there is an art of audience participation, and there yeah. is really, I mean, uh, I'm working currently with a, a dear collaborator, Jeff Sobel, and he's really interested by audience participation. And, and there is an art and there is a yeah, craft around it. And he has a purpose as well. And I don't want, I, I think it can be incredible and powerful. Yeah. I certainly don't think something is less. It's just a very different. And the same way it's hard to do immersive, it's hard to do interactions audience interaction and to do it well oh, yeah. to do it purposefully or just not like oh look and we do something yeah and there's a difference between being used as a gimmick and being used absolutely as, 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 a, as a tool as a, as, a, as a medium as a as a challenge questioning maybe of the form or questioning of absolutely yeah so what what are you working on that you can 
they can talk about. Like, or is it? I imagine it's like not here in LA, but that maybe the, in New York. What I was just pre- yeah. mentioning, yeah, yeah, it's in New York. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're very early on on the on the process. Um, it's for sure that probably will premiere next summer. Okay. Oh, cool. uh, so I'm the full. I will go back to it. Um, but yeah, it's it's for proscenium stage, and yet a proscenium stage that will have that breaking of the fourth wall. So I'm really curious. I mean, it's a very different type of work yeah. than my world, but but it's it's quite exciting. It's a new puzzle. Yeah, it's a new puzzle, and I'm really curious because I don't have much experience in audience interaction. I mean, yeah, I do myself, but right. not. Uh, Asking them a task, you know, asking them to becoming, well, making them comfortable to become part of the resolution, part of that puzzle yeah. life. We're taking care of them, giving them enough of a container for them, which we do. It's the same question we have here: how to make people feel safe, you know, right. constantly. That and it's yeah. So it's similar questioning, it's just in a different, very different world. That's exciting. So yeah, there's that. I mean, there is some, always something to work on. <laughs> We're also hoping to start working on a new show with the wilderness. So, it's just starting thinking. What what it, has it been like? Because this, this was sort of an unexpected... And maybe we'll close on this. Um, this was sort of unexpected to be able to remount the show. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, like, what you've what you've developed this year compared to last year. But, like... What's it been like to come back to the piece and indeed to the same space, even though the state, the space yes, also I mean, been changed? Yeah, we were. We were at first. We wanted to to change the space, but this space became available again, and there was a lot of things in play there. You know, like remounting, having the opportunity because of uh, Elo, the, produ- the producing company, who wanted to support us to remount it there is a lot of practical thing that play you know into the equation um but there was something nice about this time to we were hoping that it would be easier (laughs) we were hoping that things gonna be oh we've all done this before three weeks fine easy yeah it was not i mean we had some turmoil in the process and we also have a bar this year (laughs) and we wanted to create this uh, Tennessee tickets which offer one-on-one experience to some people and so I mean there was so many other layers of the show and having another performer a new performer which was our original cast in London but still he missed that iteration and so having a new performer and cushioning things uh, you know so yeah I think there was part of us was like okay great we're gonna be able to maybe have an easier ride this time yeah <laughs> uh, we were fooled <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's always a love of, of the process I love process so much yeah I'm more interested into the process and the result but yeah I mean uh, it has been a really hard month and a half and so what was the interest to I mean at first to be honest I was coming back here to LA and I was I was really in the midst of that other show and I was performing in another show right before that with Martha Clark and so I was like really 
I don't compartmentize really easily, so I'm 200% with one thing, and then I have to move to the other thing. And mm. So it was, I thought of it, of course. I knew what I wanted to change, and, but suddenly I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm so excited to come back to the same space, because what I love, it's the space, you know, yeah. and new things. Yeah. So myself, I was like, I don't know, we'll see. Yeah. I do it, we'll see. And, you know, I got sucked into it, and it yeah. was, like, super thrilling. Yeah. Uh, hard and thrilling and inspiring and full of new puzzle to, to resolve. Yeah. And I feel very l l lucky that we had this opportunity to actually... Well, I think we went to another level with the show because of that. Because we didn't have to change another place. Because we yeah. kind of knew what we wanted from the design. Because So then we could go deeper at other aspects that maybe sometimes gets... You know, like overlooked because you still have to worry about practical things. Yeah. And there's there's something to the idea of being able to come back and and fold steel and like develop it, and and you've got the shape of, of what you're doing, and just be able to put it back in the fire and and hammer out even even mm -hmm. keener designs yeah. than what you had before and and. Watching so many companies in the immersive space, the ones that create these, these shows that have these really long runs, which isn't necessarily the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not the, everything doesn't have to have this really long run, but watching the ones that that, that develop this these followings, it's always like, well, we started with this part and we came back, and this show this shows have the same thing. Like yeah. it started in London and it was just a, a chunk of it, yeah. and then like more than coming back and just layering and layering. Layering. Absolutely, um, and we and were lucky to be able to do that. You yeah, know? like it was part of the process. Yeah. And now I don't know what we can do differently. Yeah, but sometimes it's like now you have to do a new show. Now the expectation is different, you know. It, and yet, and yet the, what makes them so special is being able to take the time and really, 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 it's like it's slow cooking. It's slow cooking, but it's really not um, makes sense financially. Yeah, that's the hard part. That's the thing, and that's the thing that's like so frustrating. It's like, it's like the really, best stuff takes time. Yeah, and and most shows of any kind are like, oh, three weeks in Europe, four weeks in Europe. Yeah, even two months. You know, it's nothing. Yeah, I think the luck we had, we developed ten days, and we really worked. We started to find an identity, and then we came back to it six months later or whatever. And this suddenly everything makes much more sense, and mm. that time of brewing is nothing can replace it yeah. like there is nothing in the world that you can it's like yeah I mean I don't know it's like slow cooking you're saying you know it's like you can't have the same taste yeah it's impossible yeah and nothing you can't buy time you can replace time there is something about the time yeah and it's the same in life I think you know like yeah you know a link process takes times and similar like it's a puzzling it's it's part of the I mean the, these things when they work they feel so organic and that means you can't you need to have the time to let them grow and yeah and find their groove and sometimes like when I did the drowned man in London with Spongebank it's we had to do that during the run because we had a two-month process, yeah, and we went on, and it was crazy, yeah. And then it took about six months of running to get to really the show where it needed to be. Yeah, I know. You know I, I feel like that's something that like Third Rail's facing like the Grand Paradise right now, which they were able to luckily able to extend. But I know they had like a truncated 
they had a truncated preview time because they were dealing with permits. Mm. And that that stopped them from being able to have as long in the development process that they might normally have. Um, but they still managed to produce something... They still managed to produce something amazing in, in, in Did you my see eyes. it? I did. I, I did. I'm curious to talk about it. Off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it definitely... You, you got... I got that sense of like, oh, this could have... This could have used... I mean, everything could use like some millionaire just saying like, well, here, take six months. Just take six months, have the space, relax, find the show, yeah. keep, keep developing it. And, and unfortunately, that's not the world we, we get to live in, but... No, I mean, there is bubbles of theater. Like in Poland, they still do that. You know, they yeah. work on shows for four years. And, I mean, it's, I, don't, I think it's getting more rare, but it's hard. And it means a lot of sacrifice, you know? It means from, yeah. all, from all of us, in a way. I mean, it's not a sacrifice, but it's a reality. It's time right. that... It's a, yeah, the economics of it is a bit challenging, but... It doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> I guess. It's, it's, it must be done. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just in time when things are going yeah, bang, bang. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a sound check here. Yeah. Once again, I'd like to thank our guest for the week, Sophie Badalusi, the co-creator, choreographer, and co-director of The Day Shall Declare It. You can check out the show by going to thisisthewilderness.com. That's where you'll find links to ticket sales, see what else that... The Wilderness is working on. They've got more in the works, as I think Sophie mentioned in the interview. Um, again, a massive thanks to our Patreon backers. This show would not exist without you. You, you know who you are. Um, you know, you're Jeff Lyon and Weber and Marcy Hume and Jay Bushman who kicked us off. And you're everyone who came in afterwards. Uh, each of you is super special to me. Um, because we could not do the show without you. And if I sound like I'm sucking up right now, it's because I am. Um, let's just be honest here. Uh, and then, of course, for the month of June, this episode, everything in June, it's our friends at Drafty, the drafting app for performing arts designers. You can check it out at drafty-app.com. Thanks, Lucas. Really pleased we can do this. Uh, what else do you need to know? You need to know how to find us. All right. Contact us. No proscenium dot com is the website at no proscenium is the twitter at noah j nelson is mine um there is the email where you send us the tips and the hints and say like hey how do i get on the show no underscore proscenium at outlook.com if you do want to become a patreon backer because we are still looking for those patreon.com slash no proscenium if you want to check out our reviews my hollywood fringe diary is getting updated as i go see more fringe shows medium.com slash no dash proscenium i'll say that again because that's complicated medium.com slash no dash proscenium or just plug no proscenium into google at this point because uh, we're doing pretty good on the google juice I think. I hope I'm right about that. I could be wrong. Um, everybody, we're not done growing yet. Not by a long shot. This is going to be a really interesting experimental month. There's some other folks we're talking to about other things. And I hope it all works out. And I hope that we can continue to carry on this mission of informing the world about great immersive entertainment, immersive theater, interactive events, escape rooms, the whole nine yards. Um, 
we're going to always be focused on the quality of the experiences, the philosophies behind the designs, and I just hope that you come along for the ride. We had a great initial 50 episodes. This is number 51, and let's, uh, let's get the next 49 going on. Until then, oh, that's a long time. I'll see you before then, and when I see you, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>